You are listening to season four of the Bitcoin Takeover podcast, a 10 part series in which hardware wallet makers and breakers get interviewed. Before I introduce this episode's guests, let's hear a few words from the show's sponsors. LXMI is a European cryptocurrency exchange whose name is inspired by Lakshmi, the Hindu goddess of wealth, good fortune, and prosperity. It's one of the regulated and legal cryptocurrency exchanges. On LXMI, you can buy bitcoins with most fiat currencies, and you can also do trading with top altcoins. They follow the Not Your Keys, Not Your Bitcoins philosophy with their integrated non-custodial wallet, which helps you manage your own private keys. So if you're into trading, then you don't have to worry about having your crypto frozen by whatever political decisions, since you're empowered to hold and move your coins whenever you wish. It's great to have new players like LXMI that respect your financial sovereignty. LXMI is launching in 2020, and for more information, please check out lxmi.io. If you're not into trading, it's recommended to move your coins to a hardware wallet or some other form of cold storage, and in this episode, you're about to find out why. Please keep in mind that this is just an ad for a sponsor of the show. It's not meant to serve as financial advice, and you're responsible to do your own research before buying anything and act according to your own decisions. Embrace your financial sovereignty with agency and precaution. Femex is a Bitcoin exchange with derivative trading options, which focuses on speed, robustness, and maximum uptime. Built by former Morgan Stanley executives, it manages to bring simple and accessible Bitcoin trading. In 2020, Femex will also add S&P 500 stocks, stock indexes, Forex, commodities, and more. Sign up today at femex.com slash bonus and receive a bonus of up to $72. Please keep in mind that this is just an ad for a sponsor of this show. It's not meant to serve as financial advice. You're responsible to do your own research before buying anything and act according to your own decisions. Embrace your financial sovereignty with agency and precaution. Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of season four of the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. My guest today is Mr. Brian, who is one of the co-founders of the Bill Foddle Cold Storage Solution. And he and his brother have basically engineered this solution to work in conjunction or separately from your hardware wallet as a very effective way to store your private keys without ever connecting to the internet, which is basically the definition of cold storage, if I'm not mistaken. But my first question to you, Brian, is 
Did you engineer this as something that you needed and something that you wanted to use and then produced the retail version of it? Or was it the other way around and you saw business potential in the Bitcoin space? Yeah, so the design itself is actually an open source design. Uh, and we did not uh, engineer the, the, the basic design of it all. Um, it's actually uh, crypto steel uh, has they as part of when they made their original product, uh, they open source the design of it. And so um, I guess it's more of the latter kind of we saw a place in the market that wasn't being fulfilled. Um, people were having a hard time like this was during the uh late 2017 kind of uh, run-up, and there just weren't, like, Crypto Steel ran out of, of supply, basically, at that point in time. And so, um, like, I couldn't get any, and there was a lot of other people uh, who couldn't get any, and so, kind of to fill that hole, uh, we thought that we could make them and and make improvements on the design. We had some some uh there were some quality issues uh with the just the way that they were being manufactured that we thought we could do better so uh we did those and 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 we also thought that we could do better just in like getting it to people and customer service and that kind of thing so as i recall back in may or june 2019 there was this presentation by jemison lop who showed off his methodology in destroying any kind of cold storage solution. And I know that the Biddle fuddle was there. And it did okay. It, I don't think it ended up being the one that resisted all of the chemical elements and all of the heat and everything that he used to destroy every existing cold storage solution in his attempt to replicate earthquakes and fires and whatnot but I, I was quite impressed and I remember I thought to myself okay so when is the moment when somebody should consider getting a bill fuddle or bill fodle yeah so that's a good question and you know it's gonna vary depending on what your you know risk tolerances are uh, but our general rule of thumb is we say, okay, if you have more than one paycheck in crypto, uh, then you know that would be the point in time when you probably need to be thinking about uh, a hardware wallet, like a Trezor Ledger, I'm sure all the other, Cold Card, I'm sure a lot of the other products you've talked about on the show. Uh, and then, okay, maybe you already have that. It's also time to start thinking about like, is a pay, a piece of paper really what you want backing up the ledger? Because I've had ledgers freeze up on me uh, where I had to reset them. And ledger even disclaims, like, hey, this could happen. Uh, and I like ledgers. I think it's a great product. But you do have to have some kind of backup. And do you just want it, like, on a piece of paper in a desk drawer? Well, probably not if you're backing up $10,000, dollars $50,000. That's actually a very useful insight because I will be recording with one of the founders of Ledger, 
later today. <laughs> so nice. I'll let him know that one of the co-founders of Bill Fuddle has praised his product. <laughs> okay, good. All right. I, I I like the way you phrased that. Yeah, I do. I, I, I do not want to throw mud at Ledger at all. I, I really do like their product. Um, so A lot of people but in this every- space have sometimes mud to throw at Ledger for the simple reason that they don't open source everything and they just act in a way that you have to trust them. But my, my next question to you is, you think that the Bill Fuddle can replace the hardware wallet or does it work in conjunction with it? It works much better in conjunction. I would not recommend... You, you need to be a power user to uh, use it to basically replace the old paper wallet. Um, and, and I would not recommend um, your average user doing that. You're much better off using a hardware wallet to generate... Uh, your seed phrase for you and then just using the bill foddle to store the seed phrase um, and then you know continuing to use the hardware wallet to generate private keys and and addresses so I think that is and that's what it's designed for uh, f- based on you know the number of tiles it holds and how they're divided up and that kind of thing I've spoken to some bitcoiners in private and when they got drunk, they were like, oh, these hardware wallets, they're so silly. And back in my day, we didn't have them and we just ran Bitcoin Core and we just backed up our wallets from Bitcoin Core and we encrypted them and that was it. And it's just better sometimes to just write down your words and maybe print a paper wallet and that's it. And that's why sometimes people are reluctant in relation to hardware wallets because you put trust in a company that handles your financial privacy, especially if you decide to use the app, which comes with the product. And I, f- yeah. I think with the exception of the cold card, which is very pro power user, you're not going to find any kind of product I think only the Bitbox O2 allows you to connect your full node, which is still a step ahead. But otherwise, you rely on SPV products and you connect to their servers and you have to register with your email address. And this can be very difficult to process once you figure out that it happens. Yeah, I think... uh... There's different tiers of user, you know, and I I know that a lot of people talk about like first class citizen running their own node and that kind of thing. But I just mean like I think about my dad a lot when I'm kind of trying to step into the like first coiner, if you will, uh, and like they they're just getting into Bitcoin and and it's intimidating and not only that, but like they don't have a background in a lot of this stuff. Um so like expecting them to download Bitcoin Core and to back up their own, like they're not going to be able to do it. They're just not. And so then the question is, do we want people like that in the ecosystem? And, you know, I, I don't know if that's where we really want this conversation to go. I think they will provide some value. Um, and I know when I first got in, I, there's no way that I would have been able to run Bitcoin Core. Um, and And so... 
to go back to your question about the hardware wallets, what I do and and the team has made it incredibly easy to do is I run a BTC pay server and you can connect your ledger directly to it and the ledger um like BTC pay server copies the um the public keys down and and um generates the public keys for you and then you know the ledger has uh stored all the private keys so i think that's a great way to do it you don't give ledger any of your uh information and you don't have to use their app um it's running bitcoin core underneath all of it but nicholas and the rest of the team have made done a great job making it beautiful and uh easy to use on the front end so and you get lightning on top of all of it so it's great Oh yeah, BDC server is something different and something that we needed because otherwise yeah. the vision for adoption was to just convince some kind of retail store to accept Bitcoins through a payments processor. And that's not yeah. the kind of mechanism on which we should rely because otherwise Bitcoin is pretty much dependent on legacy financial systems that it's actually trying to replace. So the fact that we have it right now is definitely a net positive and a backbone for future yeah. developments. Like, how are you supposed yeah. to accept Bitcoin payments before BTC Pay Server? Just put an address in there and a QR code, which is static, and you cannot generate a new one for each payment. That's kind of insane. Yeah, it's, it was crazy. And people were, like, generating... Um, like they would generate the invoice so that it would end in like a, a a very unique like Satoshi amount, but it always go to the same address. So then they were identifying on that and it was just a mess and, you know, leaking lots of privacy and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, always mad props to the BTC pay server team. Oh, yeah. But I think you name dropped the ledger for the second time during this interview. <laughs> and I just have to ask you, why do you like the ledger over the treasure? What is it that it has? Is it the design? Is it any kind of software? Or do you like the clicky buttons? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, you're right. You can connect the treasure and, and I think a cold card. Uh, and I, li I like cold cards too, especially now that they've fixed the buttons. Uh, but why do I keep name dropping the ledger? It's because uh, that was the first hardware wallet I bought. And so it kind of is just the the go-to for me. Um, yeah. And, and from a from a UX perspective, like, and I've worked on all of them a lot. It's actually uh, clunky with the two buttons. Like kind of like if you have to recover on a ledger, it takes forever. Um, whereas on a cold card or, uh, especially the new Trezor Model T, it's, it's very fast because you can type more or less. Actually, the Ledger Nano S was also my first hardware wallet and I got to play with it and I, I, I thought it was nice. And what I liked most about it is the fact that I had a USB flash drive, which looked exactly the same. So if I were to mm. go to some sort of airport checks, unless they yeah. looked at the logo, which I could scratch anyway, they would not be able to tell that I have some sort of Bitcoin device. Whereas in the case of, let me think of something else. 
Mm, maybe the keep key. That's very yeah. particular. It looks like something fancy. Or yeah. even the Trezor. The Trezor looks like your car keys. You know, the remote which opens your car. Unlocks it, I mean. It's very early here. Yeah. And unless you own a car, it makes no sense to carry that around. So in, in <laughs> this, from this perspective of it's OPSEC, it's better to own yeah. a ledger as opposed to a treasure. I actually had this yeah. debate about the cold card because it looks like a calculator, but the screen yeah. is too small. I mean, when you buy mm -hmm. a calculator, you want to have as many digits as you can to be able to yeah. add, add up numbers. And also you need some sort of operation buttons, right? Yeah, like a plus or minus or whatever. Yeah, exactly. If you want people to believe that you have a calculator, you just need to have some sort of physical proof to make it believable. <laughs> Otherwise, they're going to be like, mm, this looks like something dubious. And I think about this because I live in a country which until 30 years ago, used to be totalitarian. And I'm very yeah. skeptical about their intentions. So if I am ever to leave my country and travel somewhere else, like not travel, but move with all of my stuff, I have to take all this stuff into consideration. No, that's smart. Um, I do know that when... When uh, cold card ships them, they ship them as calculators on the customs declarations, which I think is pretty funny. Oh, yeah. I remember picking up the two Mark Freeze that I got from Rodolfo yeah. Novak. I got to thank him and give him a shout out because I wrote a review for Bitcoin Magazine of the five most yeah. important hardware wallets. And it was very nice. To get them and I like the packaging. I like the fact that you get to check the serial number on the packaging and on the device. Yep. Which is unique. Yeah, that is pretty unique that it comes on the device too. Yeah, I agree. They they do a great job. I've I've met uh, Rodolfo uh three or four times now, and he's always always great to hang out with, a lot of fun and and knowledgeable, but like cares a lot about Bitcoin. And and that's apparent through everything they do at CoinKite. So uh, shout out to them. So if I'm if I'm plugging Ledger too much, I apologize. Yeah, because he deserves it. I mean, also Ledger, they have been around for a long time. Maybe correct. Their greatest sin is that they indulged too much in shitcoinery. And right yeah, now, yeah, and I, yeah, I mean. They're very, Eric is like very business focused. Um, and so I think it's just more of a like, you know, where, where is the money going to take them kind of thing? And, and maybe that's what some people don't like. I don't hold that against them at all. Um, like if someone wants your product, then like, yeah, market to them uh, or, you know, make your product useful for them and provide value to them. Um, so, but I, I guess some people would say that may, perhaps they have compromised on like some kind of Bitcoin security by shifting focus away from 
from Bitcoin, but I, I, I find that hard to believe. I think they just have a lot more resources now to, to throw into, into making their product better. So I do somewhat question the addition of Bluetooth, but I am not a security expert. That's what I guess be more of a question for you and, and something that you could talk to uh, BTC chip tomorrow. Or later today. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm happy that I get to talk to BTC Chip because I'm always happy to talk to engineers and people who are into developing yeah. and building stuff as opposed to a PR person who will just say all the nice words, talk about the advanced security and how they are at the cutting edge of innovation and stuff like that. No, that'll be good. I... I uh... I'm going to listen to that one for sure. But what about the Bill Fuddle? What is special about it? What makes it stand apart from the competition? Well, so one of the one of the things that's I, I guess there's there's a couple of factors. One, we use 316 stainless steel, so that's like the that's what you would use. It's like some people call it surgical stainless steel. It's used in like offshore drilling rigs. Uh, it's very corrosion resistant. So our product is going to, you know, it will last, I guess, against uh, corrosion and other threats. Um, and the other differentiator is all of our pieces are laser cut and everything is laser engraved. So uh, one of the problems with our competitors is the tiles don't slide nicely into the device. And so you like, sometimes you'll get ones that don't fit at all. Sometimes you'll get ones that like you have to jam them in there and start. Uh, it's just, it, it's a pain in the ass for the customer. Um, and so since everything that we have is laser cut, like it's all exactly the right size and, you know, everything closes correctly and you're not trying to, jam things jam tiles into the the tile trays so um and then we also improved our packaging so that it, it doesn't come apart in shipping um so that you don't get a bag of like 400 tiles that are all mixed together so uh, we just tried to think about little things that would improve user experience and you know i think we've done a good job of it and you know we're always innovating and trying to come up with new products like the multi-shard uh, to, you know, help people huddle better, safer. Yeah, I was just looking at the products that you're selling. And by the way, as far as I can see, you only sell Bill Fuddle bundles with Trezor 1s, Trezor T's, and Keep Keys. So no Ledger partnership <laughs> for now. Yeah, not for now. We're, we, we've... we've talked with them before um but um yeah in, in yeah ledger actually bought uh a, a pretty large number of bill fottles and they sell them on amazon as a bundle so um we didn't see the need in us buying it and their mock uh has been changing around so it's kind of it's it's a lot harder to become a ledger reseller now than it used to be. And we just recently started adding hardware wallets. Yeah, and also you're selling in Faraday bags or just Faraday bags? 
Uh, yeah, we do sell Faraday bags as like an add-on item to orders. Um, we found that that was some something that a lot of our customers were interested in and just uh, wanted to provide extra value to them. So, um, yeah, we we had some branded Faraday bags made up. Um, and you can use them to store your hardware wallets in or your car keys, um, passports or cell phones while you're traveling, that kind of thing. I guess that's the tinfoil degree of paranoia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess one of the questions we get with the Faraday bags is like, your product is all metal. Why do you? Why do I need it with the Bill And it doesn't really have anything to do with. You don't need it with the Bill itself, but it's just something to put your electronics on. Yeah, if you're uh, nice and tin foily. Um, but there are. You know, in airports and stuff, people do get skimmed. Um, I got skimmed at an airport a couple of months ago. I was kind of surprised about it, but uh, so it does happen. I wasn't using a bag. I should have been using a bag. Should have been uh, following my own, uh, practicing what I preach. So, but don't you think that using a Faraday bag at the airport may raise more suspicions? Um. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I do know that a lot of the... Uh, I'm trying to think of what people call them. Like, the things that people are buying now to replace fanny packs and they kind of, like, are worn under the shirt to hold your passport and stuff like that. A lot of those are made out of uh, the same, uh, like, nickel, copper material. Um, so those are Faraday bags now. So, I mean... Maybe it would give you scrutiny, but I don't. I I think most people wouldn't wouldn't know what it was. It's just like oh, it's just a bag. It comes back with a weird return on the X-ray machine. Whatever. Next. Right. So when I think about anything like the bill fuddle and metal place on which you write down your seed keys, I associate them with some kind of workshop where you try all sorts of crazy stuff and you pour acid and you throw pieces of metal into the fire and leave them for 15 minutes and see what happens and then you shoot a couple of bullets to see how they resist <laughs> what is your yeah. testing methodology um well we did um let's see uh, internally we did some corrosion testing so uh we got some uh, anodes and uh, hooked it all up to that and put it in like a, a salt bath for like two or three weeks. Um, so that was what we did for corrosion testing. And then for fire, we bought a, um, they're called pear burners in Texas. And it basically is like a flamethrower that you connect to a propane tank. Um and so it puts out like some ungodly, like 30,000 BTUs. And uh, so we got the Bill Foddle up. Let's see. We think it was, we can only base it on glow testing, but somewhere around 2100 Fahrenheit. So I think that's worked back to about 10 to 11 Celsius. Um, and. Let's see what what was the other testing we did? 
but the the test that I'm most proud about is uh, we had a contact who works for the Department of Transportation in the U.S. and they, for whatever reason, have to test army ordinance sometimes to make sure that it's like safe to drive on the road and like won't spontaneously explode. And so they got uh, 500 gallons of jet fuel. And he said that if you send me a bill bottle, I'll put it in there the next time we do this test. And so he did. And you know, it, it survived a fire of 500 gallons of J, a Jet A, I guess, or JP5, whatever, you know, uh, of jet fuel. So I was, I was proud of that one. That one, that one, that, that's probably the kicker. So if you're thinking about throwing your Bitcoin keys into 500 gallons of jet fuel, you probably want to make sure they're on a bill bottle. That should be some kind of T-shirt. That you sell on your <laughs> website. Uh, yeah. But that, that kind of goes back to what you were talking about with the LOP tests. And like, oh, this wallet stood up to this and this one didn't stand up to that. And, and I guess, you know, while I do think people need to have their keys backed up on something more sturdy than paper, I think that if they're worried about like, sulfuric acid being spilled like on their house and eating their keys away then they need to be thinking about uh having their keys dispersed geographically uh because just because you have them written down on like something maybe even something that's indestructible um that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to find your indestructible object in the rubble of of your house or or wherever it was like maybe it'll get blown away or swept away in a flood or something so geographical diversity is important once you reach a certain amount and again that's going to be different for every people every person but you know and it's dependent on your risk tolerance but it is something that you need to be thinking about so when you deal with basically metal plates what kind of improvements can you bring to them? Can you come up with better materials or can you cut them in shapes that are easier to ship and easier to keep in one piece? Or can you make them easier to be written on? Um, well, I mean, one key thing that the <laughs> that I guess doesn't like to be discussed is like you can improve processes and you can improve price. And so, you know, I'm proud that we were able to bring down the price point and then that helps people with a lower amount of Bitcoin kind of uh, be, be able to justify the protection level that the metal offers. Um, so, you know, coming in at a lower price point isn't just, you know, undercutting. It's like, you've you've made the world a little more efficient. So I think that's important to emphasize. Um, and, and then the other the other stuff is important too. So if if I can arrange the tiles in the billfoddle tile tray um, with a, B, C, D in alphabetical order, and our competitors had arranged them in an order that like, 
let them ship less tiles. So like they didn't have to make as many tiles to do it that way. Um, but the order was all mixed up. You've kind of just passed on a cost to the customer because it's going to take them more time to find the tiles if they're like arranged in this weird order. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess it's like a keyboard and you have to yeah. set the order. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so one of our competitors had like A's and E's op- on the opposite side of each other. So like an A was on the opposite side of an E. And that's because you need the most A, like the letters you need the most of are A's and E's. So I understood why they did that, but like I put on every bill bottle, we put an A on the back of a little A and a big B on the back of a little B. And so it just gives you a lot more uh, ability to put whatever key you want in there. Right now, and, uh, and, sorry, go on. No, no, and, and it costs more to make it that way. Like I could have done it the other way, but and had a lower uh, cost of goods sold, a lower cost to me on the bill bottle. But by doing that, I've really just offloaded an even larger cost on the customer in their time. Yeah, but right now I'm looking at your website. You have to pay. $49 for the basic bill fuddle. No, 55. Sorry, 55. Yeah. And you have a discount for the multi-shard version. It's actually yeah. $10 cheaper to get the multi-shard packaging as opposed to ordering three different bill fuddles. And you also have the Huddler's yeah. Bundle. What is special about the Huddler's Bundle? Um, so in the Huddler's Bundle, we built... Uh, like a plastic, like, uh, like a case, like a wall mount. Uh, it's like a case that the bill bottle goes inside, and then you can mount it in a wall. So it lets you get a little more creative with where you put your bill bottle. So a lot of people either they don't have a safe, or they don't want to put their bill bottle in a safe because that's just a honeypot. And so maybe they want to hide it like in an attic somewhere like underneath the eaves or something uh, like way in the back of their attic. Well, this lets them mount the hodl, the, we call it the hodler, mount the like plastic hodler case to the wall and then just slip the bill bottle inside. And, and you could hide it wherever you wanted. You could put it inside the drywall of your house. Um, so like creativity is the only thing that's limiting you on where you want to store it or you could put it in your safe you know so and and not get that it's up to you uh, but it's just something that we thought was missing speaking of safes you just reminded me of some ridiculous but at the same time interesting choice of storing private keys i recall reading on reddit about a year ago or two years ago it's very fuzzy in the bitcoin space but it was about somebody who was storing private keys in a bank. Like they had some kind of safe at a bank and they just yeah. put the keys on a piece of paper and stored it there. That's kind of insane, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, we, we've re- read some horror stories about safe deposit boxes and... 
Yeah, it's just tough. Like, it, like because I, I mean, I would not put raw private keys in there for sure. Um, I might would put like one of three or one of five multi sig uh, in a safe deposit box. Um, but even that, like maybe you would even want that passphrase protected. Um, would I, I think if you put a bill foddle in, um, in a safe deposit box and, and it was passphrase protected, that might be a good, a good way to do it. If you didn't have a good place to store it in your house, but yeah, raw private keys or just a raw seed in a safe deposit box, that's asking for trouble. Yeah, it's always difficult, especially in these early days, before we find some kind of standard for security. It's the same with hardware wallets, where they all do research and they all try to find some kind of cryptographic method of combining hardware and software to safely protect your keys. And it's the same with writing your private key or seed words somewhere. Some people just rely on a piece of paper and think they're intangible. Some people buy metal plates and they engrave or they write down in some other way. Yep. And Or, yeah, or stamp it themselves is another method. So, yeah. I mean, how difficult is it to... I mean, let me phrase it in a different way. If you were to build your own Bill Faddle... What would be the costs in terms of both money and time? So costs, I guess it depends on how how much how handy you are, how much you have around your house. Like but the easiest way I would think would be buy a block of steel, just like a you know, standard plate. Um so maybe that would cost like a dollar or two on Amazon. I have no idea. And then uh, a hammer and some of uh, like tile, uh, like a stamping kit, and then you could stamp your own your own letters into into the piece of steel, and then you know store that somewhere. Uh, stamping kit is probably about fifteen to twenty dollars. I don't know. And then hammer, you could get a hammer for five bucks uh, if you're in the U.S. on Amazon. Maybe a little more than that. Uh, so maybe 25, 30, somewhere in that range, but time wise, it's going to take you a while to, to stamp it out and you're going to need, you know, a place to do it probably outside and it's going to make a lot of noise and that kind of thing. So that it's just, that's, that's what the bill fodder provides is it, it, it frees you from that and you could put your, you know, your seed in there and, and. Probably it, realistically, if it's your first time doing it, I'd say twenty to thirty minutes. Um, if you find all the tiles first and lay them all out on a table and then uh, put them in, you know, you could cut that down to fifteen minutes. I can do a bill foddle in five to ten, but I've obviously had a lot more practice than most people, so I do like to be realistic. But to stamp it, it's going to take uh, longer than that, and so. And one of our competitors that sells stamping kits sends their product uh, with uh, earplugs. So that's another thing to uh, realize it's going to be very loud. Oh, yeah. 
And you won't you won't want to do it while the kids are in bed. I guess most Bitcoiners are not quite the handyman types. Yeah, I don't know. I guess there's two. There's like the like survivalist, uh, um, like strong libertarian bent, like plus survivalist kind of people. Like I would, I would almost put Lop in that category. Um, like mountain man for what? I, like uh, I don't know. And then there's the, yeah, computer nerd. I'm not sure where I fall in the spectrum, but probably means I'm in the computer nerd spectrum. <laughs> no, I guess it's always good to not be sure where you fall in a spectrum because it means you can do both. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What about you? Are you what? What is 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 that just an American Bitcoiner stereotype, or do you think that applies worldwide? I think even at this point, most people who got into it and are around during this phase of the market, because I suppose the speculators have been driven away. But yeah, that's nice. It's been interesting in the last couple of days because the price, the price is increasing and we're going to see a lot of scammers come back. And yeah, yeah, the people who are around these days are either computer nerds or libertarians who are very hardcore or just people who like the community or have found jobs within this growing industry, which I hate when it gets called a blockchain industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I would say that like the people that are around now are you know here for a reason but the scammers are going to come back a lot quicker this time than it took them to come in you know before so if it does start shooting up again which it was so sad to see it was sad then and like looking back on it it's just kind of depressing um so i don't know i'm not looking forward to that part of it that's for sure i mean it's really hard to work and get stuff done when you have so yeah. much price action going on and so much pressure and so many people calling you and saying, hey, I heard that Bitcoin thing. I heard about that Bitcoin yeah. thing on the news. Do you think I should buy some right now? Yeah. And you're in yeah. a very <laughs> delicate position because if you tell them no, when something gets on the news, it's a bad idea to invest in it. And then maybe it pumps for another week or something and they're going to hate you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we I I'm good friends with the person who runs buybitcoinworldwide.com and which is a huge website um and, and most most like hardcore bitcoiners don't know about it cuz that's like the entry point where you know people kind of get into bitcoin um but it, it's a huge site and uh, he gets like he's shown me some of the messages that he gets and it's it's oh just crazy funny um like show me show me how to buy bitcoin it's like well that's literally what my site does man like why did you email me about this uh but yeah the volume and the craziness that he gets and 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 i think that's one thing that a lot of the hardware wallet companies struggled with then and they're going to struggle with even more if it happens again and that's just uh, and and we will too just the inflow of customer questions and and just uneducated questions you know um so our number one question is 
why do you only have space for four letters? Like my seed word has 10 letters or not 10, but has six letters. And so, you know, I'm sure most of your audience knows, but uh, the, the BIP39 word list, uh, there's 2,048 words on there and they're each uniquely identified by the first four letters. So when you go to like recover a ledger or a trezor or a keep key and you start entering in, you know, let's say the word was, uh, I don't know, market and you enter in M-A-R. So you get to the R and then it knows that you either meant uh, mart or market or, you know, some other M-A-R, march. And so it pops those three up there like and lets you select between them like oh yeah i meant market not march and then boom and then it goes to the next word so you rarely ever even enter in four letters usually just three but all the words are uniquely identified by their first four letters Uh, but we get asked that question probably once a week and so i can only imagine if 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 things start going crazy again i mean we'll be getting that question via email and it's on our faq but people you know they'd rather email you which is fine i don't mind taking care of our customers uh, but can you imagine that the amount of volume and and range of questions that Ledger gets? Um, yeah, I mean it's crazy, and and it's going to be hard for them to keep up with. Yeah, on one hand, I can understand that we might be having this ivory tower perspective, and possibly because we are more computer science literate, we tend to look down on others and say you should not get into this unless you can properly use it and handle the whole concept of financial sovereignty. But at the same time, there are people who genuinely see nothing wrong in just using Coinbase and keeping their coins there. And they're too ignorant to even consider that Mount Gox happened. They will be like, yeah, that was in the past, I guess. By now, the engineers have learned their lessons, even though we have exchange hacks <laughs> taking place every year or every, every yeah. few months we hear about them. And right now, it, yeah. it has gotten worse in the sense that you see exchange hacks in the KYC data, which is used like yeah. some kind of leverage or what's the word for it? Blackmail yeah, to extort some Bitcoins. Yeah. And, and, and then not only do they know you have crypto uh, or you are very, very likely to have crypto, but they also know all the information they need to to port your phone or, you know, find you or. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Um, so, yeah, the exchange hacks are a big deal, um, but it almost like yeah, it's almost like telling a teenager like you shouldn't have sex because like in, until you can understand how like important it is or how, you know, like you can say that to them, but like if they, if they think that they're going to get rich from it, like saying that is not going to keep them from it. So we need to be kind of, I think maybe kinder about just like more welcoming and then like showing them the light, like, no, no, I'm not telling you that you can't do this because I don't want you to have fun or I don't want you to get rich. I'm telling you this so that you don't get scammed. I'm telling you this so you don't like, you know, 
knock up your girlfriend when she's 16. Like that, that's not why I'm telling you not to do it. I'm, I'm telling you cause like there's actual real danger here and you know, you need to open your eyes. Does that, does that make sense? Oh yeah. And also since 2017, when we had that massive bull run, yeah, I suppose we have also developed some solutions which are friendly to newcomers and exchanges have tried to launch new products. And we also have services like, I think Casa has that inheritance system where they establish a multi-sig where they own one of the keys and yeah. you own the other one. And I have no idea what happens to the third. But in case you die or something happens to you, you are able to pass your Bitcoins to somebody. Yeah, I think they're they're doing some good stuff. So they... They get some shit, sometimes deservedly, but for the most part, I I do like them, and I think that they're they're doing good things in the space. So, and and the inheritance thing is definitely something that's needed, uh, for sure. And yeah, it, there's no like good solution for it yet, and I haven't looked into the Casa thing yet, but I did hear that they were doing something along those lines. Oh yeah, I don't like the Casa note, just for the record. I I think it's overpriced. <laughs> and they don't even sell you just the node. They sell you an annual subscription. And if you want to benefit from their product yeah. and from their service. And coming back to the idea of customer service. As far as I remember, most of their money is spent on customer support. And whenever you have a problem, you're supposed to just email them or call them. Which is a paradox. Because on one hand, they sell sovereignty in a box. But on the other hand, if it doesn't work or you're yeah. having problems with it, the FAQ sucks. <laughs> if you check out their documentation, it's very vague, not complete. It's like they didn't really bother with it because you're supposed to call them or send them an email. And they have invested a mm. lot of resources into this department. Yeah. Yeah. I do know that they have yeah uh, some very very uh well paid customer service people which i mean they also deal with like people who are holding a lot of funds uh on on the higher levels tier services so that part makes sense um uh, yeah i mean i i mean i help out with some you know acquaintances and friends that that uh, have that hold a lot of, of funds and I mean they're just busy guys and and like there's no way that they could know as much about it as you know they run like big businesses and stuff like that and there's no way that they could know as much about it and so if something happens or whatever and they and they've never seen something before like you know they reach out to me and and so I mean maybe that like Casa is just providing the service that I provide them just for, you know, a premium. So it's, I mean, like I, for everyone to be as big of an expert as me and, and I don't even hold myself up to be like that, that knowledgeable about it. Like I would think you would be a lot more and, and then someone like, um, BTC chip, like even, you know, even further up there for the, us to have like that level of knowledge of the system, like will, is that sustainable? Is that what we really even want for society for everyone to be that big of a, of a Bitcoin expert? Like 
probably not. Like, you know, I know a whole lot about flying planes and, you know, but to get on a plane, like most people don't know anything about it. Uh, and so, and just for background, I was a, a military aviator um, before I got into, before I started Bill Foddle. Um, and so, like, but when you get on a plane, like, you don't, how, how, you know, you don't have to know how, why a wing works. You just, you know, it, it takes you from A to B. And hopefully, we can make Bitcoin be that smooth and safe and, and reliable. Um, I think it's becoming like that with Lightning. You see all of these custodial solutions. Do I? Like. Oh, uh, well, I. I mean, I, I, I like Zap and the, what, what they're doing and, and, and we, I mean, yeah, it would be easy to build something like why even use lightning if you're going to, if it's going to be custodial, um, like it needs to be, uh, it needs to be a, a non-custodial solution, but I, I think we're going to be able to get there. And, you know, I love what, uh, what Mallers is doing with Zap, um, so yeah, I, so I, so I think we'll get there. I just like we're still like such baby steps, and and we're still so early. And and if you think about it, there really hasn't been that that much money or resources thrown into the space yet. I mean, if you especially if you cut out all the like bullshit money that was thrown at the scams, that it's just gone now. Um, but like actual like development of Bitcoin products. I mean, um, you know, starkness over at lightning labs, um, chainstone labs, um, uh, block stream. Those are kind of the, I, I'm sure I missed I have the hardware wallet companies, uh, too, but, but there's not like, a lot of big things going on or a lot of big companies that are getting involved and throwing throwing money at it yet. And I think that will change. Oh, yeah. Right now, it seems like you only have a handful of companies which have funds and can afford to invest in development. And that make, it makes a lot of sense because not so long ago, it was just a bunch of nerds who were working on this open source project. Yeah. <laughs> and Vladimir Vanderland as far as I could find out, was working on some sort of open source graphics engine for a video game. And he ended yeah. up working on Bitcoin. And maybe that from a complexity point of view, it's a lot simpler to work on Bitcoin than some sort of 3D graphics engine. I suppose you have many yeah, more components to that sort of mechanism. But... It's the consensus part that's difficult. And it's that this social layer in which you have to explain to people why their ideas are Correct. bad and why they should not be implemented and why they should have rigorous testing on some kind of alternative network or test net before putting anything or merging it into the main code. Yep. Well, if you think about like how staunchy and conservative, um, and especially if you roll back the clock to like a hundred years ago, but even today, um, there's not a lot of like big changes that happen in banking, like because 
you're messing with money and and the like underlying layer. And if you think about like, uh, I hate what's happened with monetary policy, but that has been like a slow trickly change that started almost a hundred years ago. Um, so I mean, when we when we when the U.S. anyway uh, was you know off took taken off the gold standard. So like it took a hundred years to do all that. Like you don't want to mess around with money um, and, and, and do things quickly because the effects of your, of what you're messing with might not take effect for quite some time as we've seen with quantitative easing and, and all the money that's getting pumped into the economy now. I think. So I, I agree. With I think I like what people like Greg Maxwell advocate for, in the sense that they they want anyone to be able to <laughs> yeah. run their own node and validate their own transactions, which is a decision that got thrown away in the dustbin, in the trash bin, during the early days of the internet. Because the original vision of Tim Berners Lee, the guy who created the World Wide Web in the early nineties, yep. was for every user to run a computer and a server. They would store their own files and share them with the rest of other participants to the network. And this was quickly replaced by custodial services. And right now we use a service which hosts. And I think, I don't think this podcast, as I recorded, gets stored on my hard drive directly. I will have to download it from some sort of cloud service. And cloud service is just an elusive term for somebody else's computer. But in the case of Bitcoin, we still have this purity of intentions. It's been 11 years since the launch and people still care. And they say you should validate the whole blockchain and participate into this consensus political system. After all, it's all about all parts agreeing and you also get the benefit of having greater privacy and being able to store your transactions locally, which is really big, but most people overlook this dimension. And I'm actually curious to see how yeah. long it takes until some sort of big money corporation comes around and creates this very simple service, which gets very popular. And I don't think any other company than Facebook can pull it off at this point. But to just bring so many users that it obliterates all of these efforts that have been made to preserve a certain line of thought and a certain methodology when it comes to approaching Bitcoin. Because you, when you enter the space, you're taking baby steps. I think today, if you want to get in, you most likely get Coinbase, or a wallet like a very bad one, like blockchain.com or something. Because these show up when you look for Bitcoin in the App Store. Yeah, And you get these, and if yeah. you somehow choose to engage with the rest of the community and discover that there's a bigger world out there, you're going to maybe move on to a more advanced wallet like Blockstream Green which has Tor and lets you connect to a full node. And then you're going to understand that this type of digital gold needs some sort of validation. 
and you need to check that what you're receiving is authentic. And you also need to take care of your privacy because it's scary. You're operating on a public ledger where every transaction can be linked to another one. And when you receive funds and you send them, you're not just revealing how many Bitcoins you have, but you reveal how many Bitcoins the person before you had. And it's a whole chain, and that's why it's called a blockchain. And should you coin join? Should you manage UTXOs? These are possibly advanced features. As from a user perspective, I think they're much harder to comprehend than to use because you read a lot and there's this process of learning and then you get to an interface which has been made very simple in Bitcoin Core. And especially the wallet which I praise the most is Wasabi. That one is just incredible. It has all the features and they are so simple to use. Yeah. There, I mean, the, it is a deep rabbit hole, and that's how everyone describes it. Uh, and and yeah, I think you're right. I think you are going to come in on some some site like Coinbase, um, you know, or you're going to Google like how to buy Bitcoin. And I guarantee you, the number one site that's going to come up is Buy Bitcoin Worldwide. And so the good thing about that is there's cool people uh, like my friend who uh, Jordan who like. He's a hardcore Bitcoiner, and he's going to point you in the right direction. Um, so, and and that direction for that user might be Coinbase, you know, uh, as unfortunate as that might be, but they haven't taken all those learning steps. Um, and the other thing that I think that that Bitcoiners of of my era, and I don't know when you came in, but maybe it was even before me, or it probably was, uh, is like the history is is getting to be impossible to catch back up on like we talk about when you spin up a full node like it goes back to block 1 and starts downloading but like when a new user comes in like they're kind of entering in and like their bitcoin history starts right then and it's very hard for them to go back and kind of relearn everything that's happened and and I'm even now like finding out about characters. Um, Greg, you mentioned uh, Greg Maxwell. He recently uh, posted on uh, our Bitcoin about some guy who like had a cult more or less who like, like wanted to enslave all the no coiners after, you know, Bitcoin became, you know, after Bitcoin mooned Um, and Apparently, uh, Saifedean like thanked him in the back of his book. So I don't. I mean, I'm not trying to throw mud, but it was just like Wait, I haven't even he heard Romanian? of this guy, and and yet I don't know. I can find it. It was we were talking about it in the Unhashed Podcast uh, uh, Telegram group. But yeah, so I can it, try it sounds to find like Mitch Chapopescu from Romania. Post. He's a big Bitcoin whale. Is said to own about. Yeah. Possibly more than 100,000. Oh, wow. And and does he talk about... He has his own cult. In enslaving people? Yes, yeah. And he runs version his own... Version of Bitcoin Core, yeah. Own uh, version of Bitcoin, yeah. With like all kinds of crazy holes in it. But he also apparently believes like... 
basically, if someone were to steal your Bitcoin, you kind of deserved for that to happen. Like, you should have been, like, you're obviously not a power user. Um, so, like, it, Bitcoin's going to go to the strong hands who will steal from you. Oh, yeah. He even claimed that he was the DAO hacker. <laughs> He's like, know. if you write anyway, bad code, it, it was a- then you deserve it. That's generally his approach. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, that was yeah, oh, it's he, gotta he's be. He's quite a character. Now. Man. It's just like characters like that, like and and I think Greg is the one that brought this point up. Like if you talk about someone like this <laughs> to someone who hasn't been in the Bitcoin space for very long, they won't believe it. They won't believe that there is someone like this who exists. <laughs> but if you've been in Bitcoin for long enough, you will definitely believe that these types of people exist. <laughs> so, oh man, it's just the space, it never stops amazing me. And I'm sure there's going to be, you know, something else that's going to come up. Uh, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's always entertaining. Yeah, and it's wild. It's sad. That that part is sad. I hate I hate laughing at it, but you like... Kind Just of have think to about these it. early nerds who got into Bitcoin very early on. And in the case of Mitch Popescu, I think he was also interested in e-gold, which is a precursor of Bitcoin. And he possibly found it very early on and mined it hardcore. At some point, he also owned some yeah. kind of exchange. And he does a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah, and he... Exit scam or something. Yeah. Like he, at some point, he was re- rewarding <sighs> women for writing down block heights that were being mined under boobs and taking pictures. And he was giving them bitcoins. And he has an entire <laughs> website blog post, which is just with pictures. Like this is his way of bragging. He also bought a castle at some point. He single-handedly saved a Linux distribution from going bust because it had some very advanced security features and the team ran out of funding and was about to shut down the project. And he was like, oh yeah, I can totally handle this. I'll, I'll take you people. <laughs> you work for me now. Wow. Yeah, definitely full of larger than life characters. Uh, I'm from uh, I'm from Texas, and so it, it reminds me a lot of the stories I would hear about the oil boom, and just the the characters that came out of that. So I guess maybe it's just like like a combination of booms and uh, like technology that's on the edge, you know. And it's hard to think about oil like that, but at one point it was. Um, kind of fr- on the fringe so to speak so that just kind of attracts those kind of people so and it's it's interesting how much wealth and and power that has flowed to the early uh cypherpunks that were in bitcoin and i think that's going to be uh, especially if the price you know goes up again uh it's going to cause like political there's going to be political ramifications to it, and that that's interesting to me too. I'm not sure if they are interested in politics per se, but they are definitely interesting in disrupting well, the they system. They wouldn't say. Yes, exactly, exactly. You know, it, like 
if you gave if you if you wound back the clock to like 1960 and gave or I, I don't know if that's the right timeline or not but if you gave Ayn Rand supporters you know billions of dollars you know even though they were trying to annex themselves from the system and, and didn't want to support the system like that's still going to have ramifications to the system and i think it will be the same sometimes i here. read the blog of we'll nick see. sabo and i say sometimes because it's a very <laughs> difficult and tedious process of comprehending what he's trying to say really he has a very complex mind yeah i have a lot of respect for him i've learned a lot from him but it's never as simple as just reading one article. You have to sometimes stop and yeah. process the information that you just acquired and maybe come back later. And it's this on and off process. But he got me into David Chom because David Chom is like the grandfather of all of this movement. And back in the 80s, he was envisioning all of this situation with the NSA that we're having right now and the fight with Big Brother. Maybe he was influenced by some sort of literature and tried to implement it into technical terms that he was aware of. But he's a very fascinating character and he, he was the one who created the first form of electronic cash. And he was obsessed with privacy. I, I think he still is. And yeah. I don't want to advertise his shitcoin, but is working on some sort of messaging application <laughs> that's definitely much more secure than WhatsApp or possibly Telegram. Sometimes we blindly use Telegram and think it's private. Yeah, it's it's most definitely not. I mean, it might be private for like 99% of of people who might try to look at it, but there are people who can look at it. I mean, in some use cases and situations, I can agree with messages, maybe that it's good to have a backdoor. But with money, that's not something on which I can agree. Yeah. Oh, I, I would agree with the money. I don't, I don't know about the messages. I'd have to think about that some more. I mean... Anyway, yeah. I googled buy, how do I buy Bitcoin? And after a few sponsored ads for websites about which I've never heard, yeah. There is Okay, this it's like the 20th result, but buybitcoinworldwide.com. It's here. I don't use yeah, Google. Okay. I try to switch to DuckDuckGo because Duck, duck, go. It yeah. doesn't quite slip on yeah. the tip of your tongue, but it's useful and it preserves your privacy. So let me also duck, duck, go. How do I buy Bitcoin? Because this is always an interesting exercise. Mm. Yeah, when I did it, he is on the first page, but... Uh, he's below Bitcoin.com, unfortunately. So, looks like he's number eight and nine uh, when I googled it. Let me Google Bitcoin cold so, storage. But if you metal plate, Ooh. actually, this is Doug, Doug Go. 
I will also Google. So there okay. is Amazon, which is the first result. And there is the cold bit. Haven't heard of it up to this point. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of them either. Mm-hmm. There's actually a website called Instructables, which teaches you how to build your own steel Bitcoin wallet. Oh, that's cool. I'm I'm fine with people building their own. If that's something that I mean, if that if and if it makes them like feel better about it, then you know I've had the same conversation with Rodolfo Novak of Cold Card, and yeah. he published oh, yeah. the whole schematics and a list of com- components that you need to build your own. And he told me when we had this conversation that he's able to produce it for much less than it costs to have all the parts shipped to you. And it takes a lot of time and effort yeah. to actually build it. Because of economies of scale, he's able to get better deals and have the products shipped at a reasonable price, as opposed to having every small chip yeah. and the plastic case and the buttons and everything that you need to build your own. It takes a lot of time and effort and money to put them together. But for somebody who has no access to resources and may live in a country which is closed in terms of shippings and may not ever be able to have access to shippings from China, from AliExpress or wherever you find these parts, this can be a lifesaver if you can just build your own yeah, especially if you have some, you know, circuit tree knowledge or EE knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And I thought that was really cool when they did that. Um, I saw that. I was I was a little surprised, to be honest. But uh, yeah, but I think that's I think that was really cool of them. And I I mean, I I definitely even if you could get them at the same price, you know, that they manufactured at, you're gonna have you know just it i mean how much is your time worth kind of thing um so it's definitely worth the 99 bucks to go buy the cold card also we we spoke about the steel plate solution the bill fuddle but you didn't tell me where the name comes from oh so my brother was um uh, my brother came up with it. He's really good at branding, uh, but it's a play on billfold, which in America is like a wallet, uh, like a, like a, a men's wallet. You would also call it, you could call it a billfold. And so if you, you know, turn it into HODL or do the same thing with HODL with billfold, you get billfoddle. So it's like a, a wallet, but it's HODL, billfoddle. That that's how we came up with the name. Do they is that is uh, I I know you're in in Romania, but is there a uh, I don't know? Does that English word have you have you heard of that before, or is it just no? Involved? I think I that's mean, just a very American term. Is it a brand or is it just okay. some kind of slang? Let me look it up on Urban Dictionary. Oh, uh, it's uh, billfold. billfold? Yeah. No, it's not a brand. It's not a brand. It's just uh, 
you know, I don't, I wouldn't even call it a slang. It's just, it's just another, a synonym, if you will. So the top definition on Urban Dictionary is like a wallet, but harder to find usually does not contain any money. <laughs> or the same as a wallet, according I to think grandma. they might be. Okay, yeah. It's like an older word, maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe like old people use it. I thought they were making fun of men not being able to find things in the first definition. Um, you know, like you always have to ask your wife, like, where's your bill? Where's my billfold? This should also be a t-shirt. Like the definition of <laughs> billfold and why... Bill Fuddle is a smart way of huddling the billfold idea. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to. Uh, we have a whole list of T-shirts now that you've given me, so we'll have to get to uh, get to the T-shirt man. I don't know. We're, we'll be at uh, Bitcoin twenty twenty, so um, well, maybe we'll, we can have some. I'm not sure if I'll there. make it there because the expenses of actually getting to San Francisco and Staying there for yeah. three days, they cost me more than I make days, in two yeah. or three months. Plus, oh, thanks wow. to the U.S. policy, I have to go to the embassy, go through a whole background check process and do an interview. Oh, man. <laughs> and then I find out if I'm approved. Wow, that's quite the process. It is, and we're, I didn't, we're NATO I didn't members. It that much. Yeah, wow. I don't know. I mean, how could they have a Bitcoin 2020 without you, though? You're like one of the superstar writers. Am I? I'm just one of the guys who works yeah. a lot, but I'm not a superstar <laughs> by any metric. I think Aaron is the superstar, you're, and you're Colin, I guess, is better known than me. Hmm. Well, I always see your, you know, when I'm reading the articles, I always see your smiling face on there. So. Oh, thank you. It's mostly because Aaron nowadays works on a book, which is about the pre-Bitcoin history of okay. electronic money, mostly about cypherpunk stuff. Okay. And if okay. he works on that book, cool. he doesn't have as much time to write articles, which means there is more work for me. Well, I guess I guess that's good for you. At this point, yeah, I'm very happy. And I'm grateful yeah. that I'm able That's to good. find work in this space because it's not that easy, especially during this phase of the market. Maybe like a year from now when we're going to have that raging bull market. And this is not financial <laughs> advice. This is not any kind of prediction. Please don't get me into that. But you can review white papers for like 100 bucks an hour. Or ICOs oh, wow. and stuff like that, yeah. and write their blog posts, and they're going to be like, "Ah, I don't care. Just make it sound good. Make people spend money." Yeah, it's someone else's money. So I remember 2017 when yeah. people were well, so just throwing ether at you. They're like, "Oh, you want to yeah. get paid in ether because I've made so so many gains on this that I can afford to pay you by the thousands." Yeah. Not that it happened to me, but I've heard yeah. stories. Yeah. No, well, I mean, we saw this effect even going into 2018, like 
a booth at Consensus was like twenty five or thirty thousand dollars. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, and it was just because there was so much ICO money sloshing around that like they could charge whatever they wanted, and the ICOs were going to pay. So, so like it just bids. They bid out any legitimate business because they can always bid more than you because they're just selling air. So I don't know. I that that is like one of my big. That is one of the I think worst ramifications among all the horrible ramifications of the ICO bubble was that like any legitimate business was just completely priced out of the market for advertising for you know especially at like conferences like that but even on like Google it's just like you were always going to get outbid and there's nothing you could do about it aren't you concerned that this statement of yours might make ICO investors want to store their <laughs> keys from their ERC20 tokens and metal plates, not by the <laughs> bill fuddle. I'm sorry, I cannot say it with a straight face, but you get it. <laughs> um, yeah, so he, <laughs> I mean, I guess they can do whatever they want, um, but I mean, they would be, I, they could. I'm trying to think of the the most tongue in cheek. They they'd have much more time to scam other people if they would buy a Bill Foddle and store it that way. So maybe the world would be better off if they wouldn't buy a Bill Foddle and and store it themselves, and then they would have less time to spend, uh, you know, dreaming up more scams. So I, I'd be okay with that. I, I can. I can sleep at night knowing that that's what's happening. By the way, <laughs> not that I'm very much immersed in the world of ethereum but i haven't heard ethereum people talk about cold storage as much as bitcoin people no they 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 really don't they don't i mean in in my experience it doesn't seem like they care about it as much um so but i think that might come from like the just where the bitcoiners came from versus where the ethereum guys came from um, most of the Ethereum people are devs and they are comfortable, you know, leaving it on a computer because that's what they understand. And then like at least our segment of the Bitcoin market is more of the like survivalist kind of people and they were probably gold bugs before. So they like having, uh, something to hold. So, uh, yeah, this is different market segments. I think one of the most significant lessons that I've learned from the Bitcoin community is that computer scientists should not be trusted. And even computer scientists who are very good at what they do, they will say, no, we should not automate this. And for example, electronic voting, they will say it's a bad idea because any system can yeah. be hacked and manipulated and a very good computer scientist will have these concerns and say, how about we just stick to paper ballots and put them in a box? And that's a lot more secure. And you know that what gets in will not get out and will not get changed as opposed to anything yeah. which is cryptographic and can be hacked. But a mediocre computer scientist will just enjoy the paycheck and say, yeah, sure, I can do it. Yeah. They can go to governments and take a lot of money from them for services. 
and governments will pay up because sometimes it just looks good to say you're modernizing or automating a process and you're removing doubts. Yeah. I think I think that phenomenon is what the like blockchain for supply chain is all based on. It's just like some operations officer wanted to you know modernize and and so it's like someone sold them a blockchain and then that's what happened. And then, you know, IBM knew that they could sell Hyperledger for millions of dollars a year to these big companies. So I actually know someone who That's works my thesis for anyway. IBM and works on the Hyperledger product. Yeah. And he's making a lot of money. I, mean, I and 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 I'm sure the, the the other flip side of it is I'm sure it is much better than whatever they were using before. But that just kind of shows you how like antiquated the <laughs> the the paperwork end of of most supply chains is. Like literally, so and this has only like been three or four years ago. I'm sure it's still the case. But like if you have like a shipment of let's say oil, you have to like when you take possession of it, so they've the, the refinery has loaded it on like the ship that you've chartered. Um you sign like literal paperwork at, on the dock, and then that paperwork gets overnighted. Uh, to you know some office in New York, and it gets stamped, and then it gets forwarded to the corporate office wherever that is, and then signed there, and then that paperwork has to get to wherever the ship is going, uh, before the ship gets there, for it to be signed to the ownership of whatever's on it to be transferred over for the next port. Um, so there's cases where the ship can actually get there before the paperwork and then the ship just has to sit there. So like if you, let's say, I mean, it's fine if it's doing like a translant, like obviously the paperwork's going to get there first, but if it's going from like, uh, London to Rotterdam, like that ship can get there in a day and a half and they still have to do this whole like paperwork dance. So it's interesting, like how antiquated some of these, uh, systems that we have to, to keep track of all these goods. So I'm sure the hyperledger is better than that, but I'm also sure that like it is not decentralized or, you know, any of any of the many other things it claims to be. Oh yeah, in many ways I think it defeats the purpose of having a blockchain in the first place, but they took advantage of yeah. all the hypers and it's the a hype. centralized yep. project which just delivers to this hype but anyway, I, I don't think we should give them too much credit or attention. And I feel like during the last yeah, hour and a half, I have extracted all the information that I could and was interested in. But no, that that's a bad statement because I'm sure I can find out a lot more from you, especially since you're an aviator. But you also do a podcast, which is called the Unhashed Podcast. And there are four people participating it. Can you advertise it? I can yeah. give you this chance. Yeah, sure, sure. Thanks for the uh for letting me give the shout out. Uh yeah, so we do the Unhashed podcast. It's uh Mario Gibney. He works uh for Blockstream and does he runs the Blockstream store and does customer support for uh 
Blockstream Green. And then uh, Ruben Somson, who I'm not sure what the official title is, but he's like one of the head honcho, or I don't know, head honcho, that's not the right word, but like the the curator perhaps would be a better term of the Bitcoin mailing list. So, And he recently attained that. So we were very happy for him when, when he got that title. He's a co-curator, I guess. Um, and I'm sure he'll be mad at me that I stated that title incorrectly. So don't hold me to that. Uh, and then my brother, uh, Colin Alds, who runs Bill Fottle with me. And then obviously... I'm the low man on the totem pole over there. I, I, I fulfill my role of asking dumb questions. So if there's something that Ruben is talking about, he's definitely uh, the most technically uh, advanced person. If there's just something that he's saying and, and I don't understand it, then I get to ask the question that, you know, for the listener, I see, you know, obviously I know the answer to this question, but for the listeners, Ruben, can you please explain? And then I get to ask the question, so... So it's fun. And and hopefully I bring kind of the uh the business side to it all. So So whose idea was it originally to create the Bill Fuddle? Uh um it was kind of a collaboration between my brother and I. I would say more me. He definitely came up with the name, but uh I I you know found the 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 fact that uh, it was open source plans and, um, you know, push the business side of it. I'm, I'm much more business minded. Well, I won't say that he's very business minded. Uh, but yeah. So I, I, I would say the specifically, you know, building metal crypto wallets, that was, that was my idea. Well, I'm not sure if I have anything else to ask you about cold storage, but this was definitely useful. And I, I hope that listeners will find information that helps them better manage their private keys. And I'm happy that we cleared this confusion because a lot of people think if you store some kind of generated keys on a steel plate, you don't need a hard, hardware wallet. But actually... It's a good idea to generate that private key on a device that is not connected to the internet and is brand new and neutral from an information access point of view. And then you write it down on something which stands the test of time. And when you need to use the funds, it's definitely better to enter your seed words on a hardware wallet as opposed to typing them on the keyboard of your computer. So in this sense, I'm pretty sure and I'm pretty confident that it's a good idea to get cold storage to accompany your hardware wallet. And then again, there's this confusion between cold storage and hardware wallets because hardware wallets can be used as cold storage. But I, I guess that's another debate for another day. <laughs> so thank you very much, Brian Alds. I'm very happy that I had you. And if you have any closing words, I leave you the floor. Oh, well, thank you. I, I don't have anything. Thanks for having me on, Vlad. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a fun conversation. We went kind of far afield from uh, Bill Foddle, but I think that's a good thing. There's only there's only so much you can talk about about uh, a piece of metal. So so, But it was fun. It was good. Thank you for having me on. Let's hear a few words from the show's sponsors. 
LXMI is a European cryptocurrency exchange whose name is inspired by Lakshmi, the Hindu goddess of wealth, good fortune, and prosperity. It's one of the regulated and legal cryptocurrency exchanges. On LXMI, you can buy bitcoins with most fiat currencies, and you can also do trading with top altcoins. They follow the Not Your Keys, Not Your Bitcoins philosophy with their integrated non-custodial wallet, which helps you manage your own private keys. So if you're into trading, then you don't have to worry about having your crypto frozen by whatever political decisions, since you're empowered to hold and move your coins whenever you wish. It's great to have new players like LXMI that respect your financial sovereignty. LXMI is launching in 2020, and for more information, please check out lxmi.io. If you're not into trading, it's recommended to move your coins to a hardware wallet or some other form of cold storage. Please keep in mind that this is just an ad for a sponsor of the show. It's not meant to serve as financial advice, and you're responsible to do your own research before buying anything and act according to your own decisions. Embrace your financial sovereignty with agency and precaution. Femex is a Bitcoin exchange with derivative trading options, which focuses on speed, robustness, and maximum uptime. Built by former Morgan Stanley executives, it manages to bring simple and accessible Bitcoin trading. In 2020, Femex will also add S&P 500 stocks, stock indexes, Forex, commodities, and more. Sign up today at femex.com slash bonus and receive a bonus of up to $72. Please keep in mind that this is just an ad for a sponsor of this show. It's not meant to serve as financial advice. and You're responsible to do your own research before buying anything and act according to your own decisions. Embrace your financial sovereignty with agency and precaution.